Welcome to the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, author, teacher, speaker, and coach. I focus on your spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being to help you be the best leader possible. Each episode explores research and practical tips so you can be a non-anxious presence personally and professionally. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 11 of the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I am Jack Shitama, and today's topic is what to do when you are verbally attacked. And of course, I'm going to approach this from a family systems perspective because I have learned that understanding family systems theory and then applying it has been the most helpful in helping me to be a non-anxious presence. And it is this ability to be a non-anxious presence that translates into effective leadership. It's happened to most of us. For no apparent reason, someone will come up and berate us or blame us or bombard us with anxiety. And to deal with this, I think it's very helpful to understand emotional process. That is, what is going on behind the scenes, especially in the person that we're dealing with, to help us to understand how we can best respond as a non-anxious presence. And the concept that is most helpful in understanding emotional process is the concept of emotional triangles. A triangle occurs when two persons become uncomfortable with each other and they focus on a third person or issue to stabilize their relationship. This is a form of avoidance that enables them to ignore or to relieve the tension between them by focusing on something else. And note that the third part of a triangle can also be an issue. It doesn't have to just be a person. So a classic triangle is when two spouses are uncomfortable with each other and they focus on this third leg. They focus on something else to avoid dealing with their own relationship. Sometimes this is work. That would be an issue. So maybe one of the spouses is overinvested in their work and the two spouses argue about that. Sometimes it could be a child. Maybe the one of the spouses overinvests in the child and they argue about that overinvestment with the child. Substance abuse is almost always a form of triangling. That is, somebody is uncomfortable with another relationship and instead of dealing with that, they uh, turn to drinking or drugs to help deaden the pain, to help them avoid taking responsibility for that uncomfortable relationship. Another classic triangle is a work uh, personal triangle. So if you are mad at your boss and you take it out on your spouse, you're triangling. Instead of taking responsibility for your own discomfort with your boss and being willing to self-differentiate with her or him, you go home and you take it out on a spouse or a family member. Episode two of this podcast covers self-differentiation. That is the ability to define yourself. That is the ability to state what you believe, to define your goals and values in the midst of surrounding togetherness pressure. This is the ability to be yourself when others are pressuring you to conform to what they want you to be. And the more self-differentiated you are, the better able you are to define yourself in these 
surrounding togetherness pressures. Murray Bowen, who is the pioneer of family systems theory, believed that the most we could hope for is to act in self-differentiated ways, that is to be able to take non-anxious emotional stands in the midst of surrounding togetherness pressures. The most we could hope to do this is about 70% of the time and that most of us act in self-differentiated ways less than 50% of the time. Because of this, Bowen believed that the triangle is the most stable form of a relationship. That is because most of us are not self-differentiated most of the time. We are not able to truly be ourselves in our most important relationships and therefore we triangle to stabilize them. We triangle them to avoid dealing with the discomfort that we have in our relationships. This is not necessarily the most healthy form of relationship but is the most stable, according to Bowen. Think about the typical relationship. In the typical relationship, we are unable to truly state how we feel. If we need to do that, it makes us feel uncomfortable. We're afraid to be ourselves because we are afraid to make the other mad or to upset them. And this is our problem. It's not their problem. It's our inability to self-differentiate when it matters. If we were truly able to do this, to remain a non-anxious presence and say what we believe, the other would most often learn how to deal with it, but we aren't able to do that. We are uncomfortable and so we triangle other people. When someone verbally attacks you, the first thing to remember is that this is about them, not you. They are triangling you because they are uncomfortable about something else. Uh, they're not able to deal with some other relationship or some other issue in their own lives and so they're taking it out on you. If this were truly about you, they would be able to share with you without all the anxiety and often the anger and the blame. When I get triangled, the first question I ask is, what is going on in their life that is causing them pain? So much so that they are avoiding it by taking it out on me. And when somebody does this, when somebody avoids their own pain and takes it out on someone else, it's called pain displacement. So a good question to ask when somebody is triangling you, when somebody's attacking you, is to say, what is going on in their life that is causing them to blame me, to displace their pain on me? If you are able to keep this perspective when someone is triangling you, it will make it easier to remain a non-anxious presence. You will be less likely to get defensive or to be combative, uh, which only makes things worse. Remaining a non-anxious presence creates the emotional space to enable the anxiety, the tension, the emotional energy to dissipate. But to do this, it's helpful to understand the difference between process and content. Understanding emotional process enables you to understand what is happening in a relationship regardless of the content of the interaction. It's process, not content. The content can be anything. Another relationship, an illness that somebody's struggling with, a political issue, an issue in the church. The content can be just about anything. The question is, in terms of emotional process, is there triangling? Is there pain displacement? Is the interaction loaded with tension and anxiety? 
I find it helpful to reflect on my own behavior, and in doing so, it enables me to better recognize emotional process in interactions with others. So I ask myself, am I triangling someone else? Am I taking responsibility for my own pain, discomfort, or challenge? Am I blaming, thus triangling someone else for my own condition? Am I defining myself, or am I trying to define others by telling them how they should act or be? All of these things are aspects of emotional process that, if we understand how we are interacting with others, it helps us to recognize when they are interacting with us in healthy ways and when they are not. Think of a close relationship that you have, a relative you've known for a long time. Likely you know exactly what buttons to push to get them upset. Then ask yourself, when I push those buttons, what am I avoiding? You see, when we push buttons, we are usually looking for a fight, and getting that fight enables us to avoid dealing with our own discomfort, our own pain. When we are picking a fight with someone else to avoid our own pain in another relationship, that's triangling. And if we get the fight that we want, then we can be mad at the person that we picked the fight with, the buttons that we pushed, and we can avoid responsibility for our own condition. Focusing on process instead of content will help you to determine when it is appropriate to engage in substantive conversation with another and when it's best to focus on being a non-anxious presence and avoiding the content of the conversation. Here's my rule of thumb. When someone is defining themselves in a non-anxious way, I am willing to have a conversation. When they are defining others, and especially when they are defining me, then I know that, process-wise, something else is going on with them. In the latter case, if I get into arguing content, I know it's a trap. For example, someone comes up to you and says, you need to do something about, now fill on the blank, you need to do something about the pastor, or you need to do something about that kid of yours, or you need to do something about mom or dad. You see, the content could be anything, but the process that is going on is they are defining you. They are saying that you need to do something. And that is your first clue, that they're defining you. The second clue is how much anxiety is directed at you. How much of their own anxiety is, is coming out at you? Understanding emotional process will help you to realize that you can't do anything about their problem. They are triangling you about something that they're uncomfortable with and they're avoiding taking responsibility for it. A rule of thumb in triangles is you can't change a relationship to which you don't belong. So if they are complaining to you about someone else or something else, that's their problem. That's their issue and you can't help them with it. You can be a non-anxious presence. You can walk side by side with them, but they're the ones who are going to have to work it out themselves. So this frees you from getting entangled in arguing content with the person who is defining you. This is totally different than somebody who is taking responsibility for self and not defining you. In this case, you'll hear them say something like, I am struggling with, or I can't agree with you about, or I'm having a hard time with something. And they're, they're talking about themselves and how they feel. Having a conversation about the content that they are presenting is not only appropriate, but it's likely to deepen your relationship because of your ability to be honest and vulnerable with each other. 
The question is, if someone is triangling you, blaming you, attacking you, and you should avoid arguing content, what can you do? Understanding emotional process is only the first half of the equation. If you focus on process, not content, that's helpful in theory, but you still have an anxiety-laden person in front of you, so what can you do? The easiest thing to do is to listen. Just listen. Listening, by definition, is being a non-anxious presence because you are listening, you're able to be non-anxious, you're not having to try to defend yourself or to argue content with them. So listening makes you non-anxious and it also keeps you present emotionally with them. By listening, you are connecting with them emotionally and to their pain, even if you're not taking responsibility for their pain. The best way to listen is to use open-ended questions. Who, what, where, when, and how. And notice I didn't use why. And that's because most people don't understand why they feel what they feel. So the best thing to do is to just focus on the details of the situation. How, how do you feel that way? What makes you feel that way? When does that happen? But asking open-ended questions enables people to just continue to share their pain with you without you taking it on, without you getting triangled. And I will tell you that countless times I have somebody come in and start to unload their anxiety on me about something else and they're triangling me or trying to get me to do something about it. And I'm just listening. I'm just remaining present with them. And then after a while, the energy dissipates. And finally, they will say, thanks. I just needed to vent. And that's the end of it. So oftentimes, just by listening, you can avoid taking on somebody else's pain, some taking on responsibility for somebody else's situation. And just by helping them to vent, they are willing to take responsibility for themselves and they, they go on their merry way. So listening is one of the best things you can do when somebody attacks you verbally. Kind of a second guideline you can use is don't argue, don't agree. You see, arguing with them is getting into the content and it's helping them to avoid their own pain. It's giving them the fight that they want. Likewise, by agreeing with them, you're kind of then being taken into that triangle. By agreeing with them, you're being, uh, you become an accomplice and they're avoiding their own issues, avoiding their own pain. So by not agreeing with them, you're not being sucked into the triangle, but you are staying present. Now, how, how do you do that? How do you not argue and not agree? You can say things like, I see this is hard for you, or I see this is painful, or this is going to be difficult for you to work out, isn't it? Now, these are ways that you are not arguing with them. You're not agreeing with them, but you're also saying to them, I'm not going to take responsibility for you. Finally, one of the hardest things to do, but probably the most effective, is to be paradoxical and playful. The reason this is hard is because oftentimes we don't know exactly how to respond in these anxiety-laden situations. And also, it often takes practice. So that is the role of coaching or therapy, because we can often in, uh, anticipate these situations and we can role-play exactly how we can respond in a non-anxious way and even a 
paradoxical and playful way. And a paradoxical way means counterintuitive, that we are not only not taking on responsibility for someone else's issues, but we're actually pushing them back in the direction of their issues so that they can take responsibility themselves. And of course, playfulness is just a form of humor that brings down the anxiety level for everybody in the room, including yourself and hopefully the person that is unloading their anxiety on you. One rule of thumb I have for being playful is that if it comes across as being sarcastic, then you don't want to do it. But I have a great example of uh, somebody who is being both paradoxical and playful in an anxiety-laden situation. I actually wasn't in the room, but I was told about uh, the meeting that they were preparing for me as a new pastor in one of the churches that I was to serve. And it was the Staff Parish Relations Committee. They are the Personnel Committee. And they were told that the new pastor had an earring. One of the members of the committee apparently went ballistic and said, I'm not going to put up with a pastor with an earring. If we have a pastor with an earring, I'm going to leave the church. I'm going to go to another church. And one of the saints of the church turned and looked at this person and said, Well, we'll miss you. That's paradoxical and it's playful. I think everybody in the room cracked up at that because uh, it was very humorous, actually. But it was also saying, go ahead, leave. That's your issue. If you want to leave, go ahead. We will miss you. And by saying we'll miss you, staying emotionally connected. It's it's saying, you know, we do care about you, but you are going to make your own choice. And so if you want to leave, go ahead and leave. Now, in this podcast of just less than 20 minutes, it's hard to really get into all the ins and outs of family systems theory. But what I wanted to do was give you an overview of how it works. I will say that this is a life's work, that if you start to get into understanding family systems theory and applying it to your own life, maybe you, you'll, uh, if you go to a, a therapist who uses family systems uh, theory or you go to a coaching program or attend a workshop or read the book Generation to Generation or uh, look at Murray Bowen's work, you will start to understand in more depth and then start to apply it to your life. But it, it is it is a life's work. But we do get better. We can get better at it. We can become more self-differentiated. We can become better at being a non-anxious presence, even in anxiety-producing situations. So that's the point of this, because as a leader, if you want to be your most effective then your ability to be a non-anxious presence when others are feeling anxious actually will help others perform at their best as well as help you perform at your best. So that's it for this episode. As always, you can go to the show notes. I'll have a couple links in there uh, to generation to generation and to some information about Bowen theory. And as always, you can find more information at the nonanxiousleader.com. So until next time, thanks. And goodbye. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, there are two things you can do to help others find this podcast. First, tap the subscribe button on your podcast app. And second, leave a review. I appreciate your help. Finally, you can find more resources as well as subscribe to my blog at the nonanxiousleader.com. Now, go be yourself. <laughs>